we had this unique thing happening where our need for services was going up and then we had our fundraising going down or the means to fundraise going down. Seems like a bit of a nightmare, doesn't it? I'm Kimberly O'Donnell, and this is Accidental Fundraiser, a show from Network for Good that shares radically authentic stories from the trenches. The Heron Project is a national nonprofit organization providing free resources and support for the treatment, recovery, and prevention of substance use disorder. Their mission is to support, inspire, and empower those who have been affected by the disease of addiction. In the wake of the pandemic, they saw the need for services increase 200%. Yes, 200%. Yet their ability to fundraise was diminishing since it relied on in-person, peer-to-peer events such as races. Bonnie Sawyer, executive director of Heron Project, is a marketer by nature. She graduated with a marketing degree and her heart for giving back always drew her to the nonprofit world. And with that comes fundraising. She joins this episode to share the impact of the personal connection, no matter the size of your network, and her advice for those just starting out in the fundraising world. Let's start there. And be sure to pay attention to hear her tips when taking on an unexpected leadership role. Biggest piece was stewardship cultivating the donors, making them feel appreciated and showing them the impact that, you know, their donations making and whether it be a $5 donation or, you know, a $50,000 donation, everybody wants to feel good about the gift that they've made and to know that they made a difference. And I think that was something early on that was repeated over and over, whether it's sitting down, having coffee, You know, sometimes we get so busy in a development office. And I know for me, when I first started, I was a one-person development office. And there's so many facets to a successful fundraising plan. And I think it's easy to let the stewardship and that cultivation go to the wayside. And that's something that I've really tried to make probably the most important piece of uh, my fundraising strategy, you know, every single year. And I'll tell you a story. When I first came on, I was just given this database of people and I was like, oh no, you know, like, what am I going to do? I mean, at the time it was probably almost 20,000 people. Did No one knew really anything about it. And over time, I was able to really learn about who these people were. And there was a man who kept giving $1,000 to Heron Project. And one day you reminded me, oh, it's his birthday today. I had no idea. So I went on, I did the video. I said, happy birthday. And first off, he sent me a note immediately and was like, floored. He said, that was so nice to receive. And he was so grateful. One year later, that $1,000 donation was 10,000. And I do think that it had to do with that personal connection. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we all want. We want to know that the place that we're giving and trusting with our donations and our financial means really is with you and on board and on that journey together. And you know that together you're actually making a difference. So that's something that he, you know, my mentor did definitely plant a seed in me a long time ago. And it's just something that I, I carry with me to this day. So you focus on the potential that lies within each donor and how there, there are personal touches that we can do throughout the year, throughout the experience 
to really have that meaningful connection with them. And it doesn't matter if you have a small database or a big one, you can find ways to be able to do that and celebrate those donors. What other things would you recommend to small organizations that are, are easy and quick things that can make a difference from a fundraising standpoint? I try to do all the things that people are forgetting about these days. You know, everybody's emailing and doing video, doing this, doing that. But it, how often do you get a handwritten note that just says, dear so-and-so, you know, thank you for being a donor for X amount of years and, you know, that kind of thing. The other thing that we do that I think really makes a big difference, even for like your major donors is, you know, we do like reports, like an infographic and really outline you gave this much money to Heron Project this year, or, you know, whatever organization. And this is the breakdown of how we used that money. I mean, I think transparency and communication is key from that's how we operate here. So I think little touches like that, the notes, the videos are big, any type of personal connection. We have a monthly giving program. So we keep track of, you know, the donorversary and we send a little something that just says, you know, happy donorversary. Thank you for allowing us to sustain our mission because those are very important donors. It all comes down to the connection. I mean, these things take just a couple of minutes to do. And it's not always about asking for money either. I think that just saying, I see you, you're important to us. Especially, I think sometimes two people fail. They forget about the people that are making the $5 donation, the $25 donation, the $50 donation. I mean, when I said that Heron Project has 30,000 donors, that's our donor base. I mean, our donors are $25 donors, $100 donors. I mean, they are so important and vital to what we do. So I just want to celebrate them every chance I have. The focus on celebration can be really powerful and uplifting, not just for the donor, you know, who's being appreciated, but also for the organization and the board. What kind of things do you do with your board to motivate them to help with fundraising? We meet every other month. So I always make sure that I share where we're at, obviously, with like our current fundraising goals and that communication and transparency of we want to see 100% of the board giving. I mean, and obviously they all have different means. So I don't expect you all need to give a certain amount of dollars, but you know that you are giving and supporting the mission. I do give at the end of the year, their giving history and like that snapshot of how they made a difference. Because I think more than anything, they're probably the donors that get forgotten more than anybody because you take for granted that they're on your board and you're meeting them all the time. And it's funny because I can't tell you how often I'll get a phone call. Hey, can you tell me how much did I give this year? They, they don't know. So I think communicating with them on other ways that they can share the mission and create more awareness to hopefully bring more donors to the table. Throughout the year, we have 12 different events and a lot of our board members do participate. They join one of the teams and they get out there and run or like do a Spartan race with us. So it, it's pretty exciting. We, we're lucky. We have a very dedicated and committed board. You are lucky because I hear from a lot of organizations, my board isn't a fundraising board. And bringing it into the boardroom and having those regular reports 
and making it very actionable. Here is what you can do to help these two or three things. And you make it a routine. Every board meeting helps them understand where they may be able to help you. Because in some cases, they just don't know. They really care, but they don't always know how they can help you. Bonnie, can you give us some tips to people who might feel a little more hesitant? It's not really in their nature to be a, you know, to get out there and fundraise. What kind of mindset can they step into as they prepare to ask for gifts? That's a good question. It's funny too, because I'm actually a very introverted person. So I don't like to ask for money. I don't like to ask for anything. So when years ago, when I first ended up in this development role, I was like, how am I ever going to do this? I was scared. But as I started to realize the more that you can allow yourself to get in tune with the mission and your story and really believing and knowing and seeing the impact, it just makes that job so much easier. So know the data. I think data is really important. Take the time to understand your nonprofit story and the data and the people that you've helped. I I find that helps me. It makes telling the story easy and I believe it and I know it to be true. And when you have all the facts and you're not going out there like making up a story, but you're telling a real, genuine, authentic story of your, your nonprofit it just happens. It's a, it's a magic that happens. And before you know it, as you start to share, and I found this, I realized how, my passion for what I was doing. And I think find your passion for the mission and know your story inside and out so that it's a very real and genuine thing. And you almost don't have to ask for money at that point. Don't be afraid when you're sitting down with donors that, you know, maybe you know their means and they can be giving you a little bit more money than they have. Don't be afraid to say, hey, can you maybe add an extra hundred dollars or, you know, maybe it's another 500. If somebody's just been giving year after year after year and no one actually goes and asks them for, for, for more money, guess what? They're not going to give it to you, right? You have to ask. I know even myself as a donor, my children went to a private school And I would wait for the development officer to call me up and actually ask me for money. And they never did. And I never gave them. I could have given them money. And I used to say, wow, I can't believe they never called. So donors want to be asked. I think sometimes as fundraisers, we forget that they actually want to be asked. They want to be asked to give. So I would say don't be afraid to to ask that question. And as they step into making the ask, what do you recommend as sort of a strategy? You have to listen. Do your research on your donor before you go. We have access today to Google. I mean, we can research people and know before we even walk through the door what they have a passion for. So do your research before you go. And I always go in with kind of a few things in my back pocket because sometimes I think I know what the donor, where their heart is, and maybe where they want to give. But then through listening, you start to realize, oh, maybe this is something that we do at Heron Project that actually may be more up their alley and something that they would want to do over what I had thought. So I go in there and I always have, you know, like our annual report from the year before or the current year so that I can open up to whatever page that they may have spoken about and maybe then talk about the opportunities. You should also have a strategy for 
how much like does 10,000 do for your organization? I break down every program and service that we offer down to a dollar amount so that I know, okay, if this is a $10,000 ask, and I know that prevention programs are, are something that's on their heart, you know, I'll take our Heron Project Clubs, break it down and say, oh, with a $10,000, you could actually provide X to Heron Project Clubs to schools. So I think treating it like having mathematical equations in your brain, I kind of go in, try to go in very prepared with possible ways to break down whatever it is that your nonprofit might offer as a service and meet the donor where they're at. Listening is, is important. You should almost be doing no talk. I think an important strategy too is before you even get to an ask, make sure that you're asking questions, personal questions, get to know the donor. You know, if, if you know their wife's name is Susie, say, how is Susie? You know, do, again, like that research and know whatever you can about their wife or their spouse, their children, or where maybe their kids are at school. I think the more you can go in there, the more personal connection and the more the donor feels connected to your organization. So as you are getting ready to meet with a donor or a potential donor, how do you set up that meeting and what do you say to kind of line it up as a real discussion around both getting to know them and also asking for support? I always use it as an opportunity for excitement, of celebrating all the victories and the things that happened in the year. And I just say to them simply, like, I want to sit down with you. I want to share all the amazing things that are happening at Harem Project. I don't talk about money or anything like that. I just, I want to show you the amazing work that we're doing because it's actually real. I mean, I love to be able to share about the work and the mission of Harem Project. I get excited about it and I share that excitement and and sit down and no one's ever said no to me. So <laughs> That's a great track record. <laughs> that is a fantastic track record. Have you ever had a donor that maybe was um, a little unhappy with something where you've had to manage that more challenging relationship? In some cases, some organizations might just want to brush them to the side and go, I'll just go to the next person, right? Like there's a, there's so many other people out there. And the donor retention rate average in the U.S. is 43%. That's pretty low. And it's pretty low when you consider it uh, against like SaaS companies where it's 70% or a Netflix that has an over 90% retention rate. What advice can you give? What insight have you had? Is there a story you can share? Thankfully, we haven't had a lot of these, but we have had, I mean, you can't not go through fundraising and not have any people that are, are upset. And usually for us, it's been around, you know, they gave a restricted donation and they felt like we didn't do what we were supposed to with the money. Like a lot of times they want to see proof of it. And recently we had somebody where, you know, again, it was a busy, we've been going through a lot of busy stuff and they wanted notes from the person like we were doing scholarships and they wanted notes from the people that the scholarships were given to and we didn't follow through on that in a timely manner so i, I always come back to transparency and communication and was just honest and said you know apologies please accept our apologies and let me get that and they gave me the time to go through it and i just reassured them that they are extremely important that we are, again, using the money the way that we said. I mean, a lot of it, it's managing expectations. And I think that if you can 
at the very beginning, be very clear about the expectations and knowing what each party is expecting, you can certainly not have those types of things happen. I want to talk with you for a minute about your role. You mentioned that you've newly transitioned into this executive director position, and I'd seen that you were sort of in an interim space before. Congratulations on that. Woo, that is fantastic. There are a lot of uh, people in the nonprofit sector who become promoted sometimes very quickly, <laughs> you know, into different roles and wear many hats within their nonprofit. What advice can you give them as they become more deeply involved with the organization and also move up into higher leadership and roles and areas of responsibility? Know everything you can about your organization and the the cause that you are representing and to really have the confidence to work hard, be self-initiated, not so much take charge, but to create collaboration with the people within the organization and really take on that leadership role and just continue to, to make a difference. I mean, I know for myself, you know, I started on the board and then I was doing social media and I just saw different things and, and made sure that I would bring those things to people's attention and follow through on it. I wouldn't always just come up with an idea, but if you're going to come up with an idea, follow through. I mean, most nonprofit organizations are understaffed. So we all wear many, you know, wear many hats and to really, you know, rely on each other and just continue to do everything you can to advance the mission. And I think through that, hopefully leadership opportunities arise for you like they did for myself, but it's really just being 100, 110% in and doing whatever you can. How do you prevent uh, prevent burnout for yourself and the rest of the team? Because it's real. <laughs> it, it is real. And I'll tell you, as a nonprofit in the addiction space, it's real for every person, whether you're a development professional, you know, an executive director, but we have an entire treatment team and we preach self-care at Heron Project. So I know as a leader, I even tell my employees, I mean, if I notice or think see somebody that I think is struggling with burnout. I mean, we're very communicative to say, hey, take a day off. It's okay. We practice self-care. We talk about it. We talk with each other and we're very open with one another. If somebody looks like they're struggling to that, that's their top priority. And I mean, if you're not practicing self-care and you allow yourself to get to that place of burnout, you're not going to be successful in reaching your goals either because you'll start getting tired and you, you just can't even share your message with anybody in a positive way. Talk with us a little bit about your digital strategy. How has that evolved? And what advice do you would you give for people as they're sort of setting up their digital footprint? So, I mean, that's my strength with a marketing background. So I've always approached development from a marketing standpoint, and it's been successful for us. And I think that it's telling your story. I mean, people want to see the story. They want to know that people are being helped. They want to see the hope that can be found in, you know, whatever it, you're struggling. I mean, we're, yes, we're serving people with addiction, but some people are serving people maybe that are for cancer or diabetes and different things. And people want to see those positive, uplifting stories of how people can, you know, overcome. Again, it, it's, it's like celebrating. And I, very big on social media platforms 
and making sure, you know, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, all of them have a different demographic. You know, I think a lot of times nonprofits, they'll share the same thing on all four platforms. I believe in sharing something different on each platform because your audience is different on Instagram than it is on Facebook and they're looking for something different. So try to be unique and share those positive uplifting stories, um, whether it even quotes and different things like that. And, and then with the, the donation page, people want to see the impact and the, the stats and they want to know the story. And the, I think the video is always helpful. And sometimes I think people shy away from it because they're like, oh, well, you know, we have to hire a video person to do it. No, you don't. I mean, take your camera and do it or go on some software system. People aren't looking for like professional videos. They just, they want something real. They want to engage in that way. So we don't hire videographers or anything like that to do it. We're, I'm either doing it. We have different people on the team. They don't have a lot of video experience. You know the story, you know the message, and we just find different ways to share it. And I think, too, people will share something once and they are like, oh, I got nobody to look at it. Or even an email. Email marketing is, is very big for us. But you have to do it like seven times before people really start to see things. So don't be afraid to share and share again and share again. You're not bothering people because they probably haven't even seen it yet because <laughs> that is the the marketing you know statistic is it's about the seventh time that people finally see what you put out there so don't be afraid i know when i first started doing that i had people say oh you're posting too much or you're doing this or you're doing that I'm like no and it worked you know you have to don't be afraid to to share too much bonnie tell our listeners how they can connect with you and learn a little bit more about the heron project you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Also, heronproject.org, H-E-R-R-E-N.org. Just head to our website. I mean, you can learn everything from all the free services that we provide for individuals and families, our prevention initiatives, ways that you can get involved either through our Team Heron Project or maybe doing an event or fundraiser in your own area to support our programs and mission. Now it's time for the State of the Sector, brought to you by Network for Good. Bonnie mentioned how the Heron Project's board actively supports their fundraising initiatives, and they do that through participating in Reds and Walks and, and making annual financial contributions, as well as helping to recruit new donors and supporters. If you're an accidental fundraiser, do you know how many of your board members are making a contribution each year and what that total percentage is? Sometimes when asking for grants or speaking with a major gift prospect, you may be asked for that percentage of board support. And the bottom line is that you may not have 100% board participation in giving, but you should have a sense of the number if you're asked. Now, many organizations strive for 100% board giving, but that's not always the case based on the role of each board member. Some boards have give or get policies where board members are expected to give at a certain level, or get other donors to help them hit that level. This is where board members with broad connections can really come in handy. And if you have a give or get policy at your organization, be sure to be clear about that give or get policy before extending an invitation to a potential board member. Alternatively, some boards value having diverse experience represented over a member's actual fundraising capacity. And there really isn't a right answer for this. Do you really kind of push for 100% board participation 
or do you have a policy where you just kind of ask for folks to support you? You may have a give or get policy. It isn't a one size fits all. It's what is right for your organization. Providing individualized giving reports to each board member is also a great way to show your board member the impact that they're making. And this is really helpful when you're showing year-over-year giving with your board members. It's also a great reminder for those members who may not realize, they may not realize that they haven't given yet this year. And I've actually had that happen. So a board report was really helpful when a board member said, oh, but I already gave. And I was able to say, well... I actually haven't seen that. Here is your here's your report and this shows your year over year giving. Sometimes board members forget that they haven't given yet this year. So it's a nice reminder. One last bit about the board's role in fundraising. Board Source is an organization that's been surveying board members and executive directors for the last 20 years. And they publish a report called Leading with Intent: The Board Source Index of Nonprofit Board Practices. When they asked about board performance and the board's role in fundraising, what they found was that the board's role in fundraising has consistently been rated among the lowest performance area. And this is against things like understanding your organization's mission or projecting a positive image of the organization, knowledge of programs, even monitoring legislative issues. They also ask responders to grade the board's fundraising performance. So if you think about it, you, uh, if you were an executive director, would grade um, the board's fundraising performance, as would the board members. And you would think that those organizations that actually rated themselves highly for the board's fundraising performance would also rate their fundraising as very important. But they don't. The level of board fundraising importance at an organization doesn't relate to those that either overperform or underperform from a fundraising standpoint. The findings also show that organizations who place a board's role in fundraising above all else, they do so at the expense of other very critical board functions, including organizational strategy, relevance, and impact. Isn't that interesting? I often hear accidental fundraisers who wish that their board members were more active in fundraising. And so if you haven't done so recently, perhaps it's time to rethink your expectations of your board. Take some time and really think about what roles you are looking for them to play. And perhaps there are opportunities to nurture upgrade gifts or expand relationships among those board networks. But that said, How can you also fold your fundraising efforts and their importance into your board activities without sacrificing board diversity, member expertise, and that need for organizational strategy, relevance, and impact? To wrap up this episode, here are the four things that you need to take away from this. One, build relationships and remember that donors want to be asked to give. Two, donor retention is key. Three, don't be afraid to overshare. And four, fundraising and nonprofit work can be very challenging. Please remember the importance of self-care. Yes, yes, you can. I'm Kimberly. See you next time on Accidental Fundraiser. And be sure to follow along wherever you get your audio. 